If you don't love a garden in June, could you ever love it? Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. And I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on several acres out in the country. Too darn many. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want others to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Carol. Hello, Dee. How grows your garden? It grows. It grows. I've been, um, it's hot. It's sunny. Woo. I think the spigot finally turned off on the rain, and so I've been working feverishly to get ready because the Oklahoma gardening crew, including Casey Sharber, the host, um, they came out to film my garden, and they ca- we're recording this on Monday for Wednesday, and they came out today, and we all had the best time. We spent we spent most of the morning, and we're going to do four different segments on different areas of the garden, from tomatoes to daylilies to pollinators and the challenges of growing in a prairie climate. That is awesome. And so will we be able to find Oklahoma Gardening episodes online? Yes. As soon as we know when it's done, they're on YouTube and we will link to it from our podcast. Excellent. Excellent. So do you want to hear about my garden? Yeah, I do. What's going on in your garden? So I got the good, the bad, and the ugly today. Okay, let's start with the good. The good is the shelling peas are filling up and I have picked twice and had some really nice um, bowls of fresh garden peas, which don't taste like anything you would ever buy at the store. The rest of the garden is doing well. Finally, my peppers and tomatoes are starting to grow. They're, they're not very big yet, but they're, they're up and growing and looking good. Yay. Now, what's the bad? So the bad is that I am dumb. <laughs> well, Aren't we all? <laughs> I just never learned. So I went out to the garden last week and the green beans were up and the rabbits had eaten like two rows of the seedlings. Uh, And normally, you know, I put the forks around them. Yeah. And I didn't do that. And I thought, am I stupid or what? So I went and got the rest of the forks and there were the, there were two plots of beans and I did put forks down the other plot and they haven't been eaten, which is good. So, and the rabbits ate two, I have two of 16 sunflowers left oh. that, I, that I planted out. I sprouted them in little pots so yeah. that I wouldn't disturb their little roots when they put out there. Right. I was so proud of them and I put them all out there. I had 16 and now I have two. And I haven't gone out there today. I might have zero. Are they from cutworms or from rabbits? Rabbits. I've been fighting cutworms. They've cut been worms. dug up. In my garden. So, darn rabbits, darn cutworms, darn it. Now, what's the ugly? Well, I couldn't decide between the heat. It's like 96 degrees on Saturday. Yeah. Or the weeds. So, when it's 96 degrees, Carol does not weed. And the weeds (laughs) say, oh, it's 96 degrees. She's not weeding. Let's grow. Yeah. Um, It's, I'm telling you, with the rain, I've never seen so many weeds. And yes, we were out there on Saturday, and I think it was 93 here, and it was hot, and because of all the rain, it was so humid, and I just kept spraying myself down with water, and I kept weeding. But would I normally do that if people weren't coming to my garden? No. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, and I keep thinking, well, I'll get up really early at 
you know, at six o'clock and I'll go out there before it gets really hot. But I don't. <laughs> well, I mean, it is, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pick on you on that because that's really hard. I've got a quote for us though. I'm excited about these quotes because you were excited about these quotes. Yes. And by the way, um, my friend Karen Collier, who's the master gardener and runs Wednesdays at Will, and I spoke there last week. When she introduced us, she talked about our podcast, introduced me. She talked about our podcast and talked about you, and she said her favorite part were the literary quotes. Well, good. I think we got some really good ones this week. Ready? Uh-huh. It is the month of June, the month of leaves and roses, when pleasant sights salute the eyes and pleasant scents the noses. Nathaniel Parker Willis. And I thought, who is Nathaniel Parker Willis? And it's important that our listeners know that he is an American author poet and was at one time the highest paid magazine writer of his day. And he started the magazine that I think is now Town and Country Magazine. So he's a big deal in the magazine world. Interesting. And I think they still pay the same rates that they paid in the 1800s in magazines. We'll we'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) We'll get to that in a minute. But first, our flower. Our flower is Dahlia's darling. Dahlias. I love dahlias. We we say dahlias, but the English say dahlias. And I say whatever. I don't really. I'm not. You know. I'm not big on them. I'm just gonna fess up. Oh, you don't like dahlias? I didn't say I didn't like them. I just like. I'm not enamored with them enough to join the American Daylily (laughs) or Dahlia Society. Why did I say Daylily? Dahlia Society. I don't know. There is an actual society, so you know people are pretty darn excited about them. Yeah, they are. And I think dahlias are an interesting flower that a lot of people down here want to grow um, in Oklahoma. And I always caution them a bit because dahlias are, I think they're a good example of how you should look at where is a flower native? Where does it normally grow? Where does it originate? And where do dahlias originate? Well, I think that uh, based on our notes, I'm going to say the mountains of Mexico. Right. That would mean cool nights, warm days. Yeah. And the problem in the central part of the country is they, we don't really get cool nights. Do you guys get cool nights? Um, it depends. Less, uh, not really. Yeah. Not really. Maybe later in the summer, but a lot of people grow them around here. Mm-hmm. And they had some beautiful, beautiful, beautiful dahlias in containers over at the greenhouse. And um, I'm there enough to know how merchandise moves. And they were pretty well sold out except for this one really orangey color, which if you were going to do a fall container, those would have been fabulous in a fall container. I bet. I like the dahlias that have the black almost black foliage with the bright, bright colors. And actually, when I was visiting our friend Ellen Zakos in Santa Fe, she and I each bought a couple of plants with black leaves, dahlias, and hers is a red dahlia and mine's hot pink. And she sent me a picture of her red one blooming and I sent her a picture of my pink one. So if you're going to grow dahlias where, where I live, you want to pick the ones that have the smaller flowers. The big dinner plate dahlias don't do as well in Oklahoma. I can't tell you exactly why this is. I don't know. But um, the smaller flowered ones, like Bishop of Landaff, um, there are some that are on the Old House Gardens page, you know, that catalog. Yeah. Yeah, we can link to that. Juanita is one of them that I grow that has a little bigger flower. Um, And then I've got these, I've got some in pots. 
So there's a lot of, um, I go for the smaller dahlias. I'm not talking about, they can still be tall. I just mean smaller flowers. They tend to produce better here. Yeah, and people, if you're going to do the dinner plate size, you are most definitely assuredly going to have to stake those dahlias. They will flop over big time if you do the big, big flowers. Right. Like like with lilies, same idea. So do you have to dig your dahlias in the fall, or do they overwinter in Oklahoma? So if we're having a normal year in Oklahoma, a lot of dahlias will overwinter. Um, Bob Scott, who has a nursery locally, said that some of his customers convinced him to leave some of his dahlias in the ground, and they came back even from our harsh winter. And I can say that my Juanita ones came back too, but that doesn't mean all dahlias will do that. Sometimes they will die of root rot because, you know, we'll get big rains and it'll stay wet too long. But right now I have a whole section of dahlias down in the, in my back garden that are just starting to take off. And so I'll be staking some of those, but they, they will stay in the ground. I'm not going to dig them up. Yeah, if you're around here and points further north, you almost have to dig the dahlias out of the ground. If you want to save them from year to year, you you pull up those tubers. And so this is a good segue to say that those tubers are actually edible. And that's why Ellen Zakos will grow dahlias, because the tubers are edible. I'm not eating them. No, I'm not either. She only grows edible plants in her garden, which, you know, everybody's got their own thing. Um I have you listed here a source for dahlias, which is Swan Island Dahlias. That's a specialty nursery that I think all they do is dahlias. And I have bought from them because when I spoke at the Northwest Flower and Garden Show, they bring dahlia tubers to the show. There's a big a big deal where you can go and buy. And so I bought several from them. I will say, um, and it's not their fault, but they didn't do well here because it was too hot. Um, I pretty much now either buy them locally or I buy them from old house gardens because they have some that can handle the hot nights. Yeah, the old house gardens has the old heirloom varieties and those are, I'm going to say, pretty well time tested and probably are pretty safe. Right. The other thing I was going to say is that is one thing that is true is local sources often have varieties that really grow well here. And if you go to a garden show or whatever, oftentimes somebody that is really into dahlias will have the tubers for sale and uh, show you how to plant them. Now, this one guy told me, he said, to make them easier to dig in the fall, he said, plant them in a black nursery container in the ground and then just pull that container out. That would be brilliant. I remember you talking about that one time before with me, and I thought that was really smart. I have not done that here, but that's a great idea. It is, but um, they didn't do well for me. And I did read on another site that, well, that might be our vegetable topic. That's our vegetable topic. I read something about black containers. Okay. You you have to be careful with a plastic black container because it's going to get really hot in the summertime. It's just going to bake. And so you got to make sure that that plant can withstand that really hot environment. That's all I'm going to say. Because I think one of the big killers of dahlia tubers is rot. I really yeah. do. And so it would easily rot. And so I did dig mine up a few times and kept them over winter in the greenhouse. I kept them both as plants and also just took the tubers and let them dry out and packed them. But I'm not that in love with dahlias that I'm willing to do all that work. I'll be honest. I don't have a bunch of dahlias, but you know what I do have? What do you have? I have the zinnias that are, they call them the dahlia flowering that look like dahlias, but they're zinnias. I've got some of those out in the garden. 
There are a bunch of zinnias that do look like dahlias. So there you go. There are even cactus flowering zinnias that look like cactus flowering dahlias. So grow zinnias. They're easy. Exactly. So that is our flower topic. Shall I do our quote? Well, do you think we convince people to grow dahlias or? I think if they like dahlias, we convinced them to grow the smaller ones. And if they don't like dahlias, no, we did not. Okay. Because I I think we made it sound hard. We did. I don't know. I don't know it's that hard, but it takes some time. It takes some work. Ready for the quote? I'm ready for you to do that quote, Dee. I am convinced that there are times in everybody's experience when there is so much to be done that the only way to do it is to sit down and do nothing. That's by Fanny Fern, who is actually Sarah Willis, who's the sister of Nathaniel above. And you have some note in here, so you need to talk about her. Well, if you look to, and I had to kind of go to a site that said it wasn't very secure, but I went there anyway. Sarah was not treated well by her brother, Nathaniel. And there was something about him publishing some of her columns, but her not getting paid. And then this other guy said that was terrible. And so he paid her $100 per column in the 1800s. And that's where your comment about they really haven't changed much what they pay writers these days. (laughs) No, back in, I know that back in the 50s and 40s, they paid a dollar a word. And if you got a dollar a word now, that would be a big surprise. But anyway. And they said she was the highest paid uh, magazine columnist of her time. I believe that at $100 per column back then. And they were probably long columns too. They had more, you know, people read more back then. Right, and I thought maybe I should go look up some Fanny Fern stuff, but I la- I ran out of time, and so I thought, well, that's a good quote, and you know, we have a sister and a brother. That's a first for us. I think it is. It is a first for us. So this week we're talking about blueberries and other fruiting shrubs in containers. Do you grow bl- any kind of fruit in a container? I do not. You do not. I am always tempted when I see the pictures in the magazines. They look so wonderful and. So around here, blueberries don't do well because our soil is not very acidic. And so the reason I would grow them in it. Here either. Yeah. So the reason to grow them in a container is you can make the soil really acidic and they will be much happier. Yeah. I've grown blueberries in containers for four years. And I really, they were doing, as of last year, my two that I had on the deck were doing great. I mean, they were just doing great. And then we had that crazy wild two-week-long, below-zero temperature thing, and it it killed one blueberry completely, and then the other blueberry, it took it down to like one cane. So I got two new blueberries this spring, and I actually got them from Southern Living Plants. They offered them to me, and I'm kind of excited about them. And so I put them in different pots because I was still trying to nurse the other blueberries along. I finally gave up on the one blueberry, pulled it out, stuck a dahlia in its place, ironically enough, And then this other blueberry is still coming back. So the good news about blueberries in containers is normally they do really, really well here. And you can get the soil as acidic as you want to get it. Do I test my soil in the container? No, I don't. But it's not hard to do. I I put sulfur in mine every year. And I also use a lot of peat moss. Yeah. And so here I would be worried about the blueberries overwintering in the containers for two reasons. Number one. Are they hardy enough? And they say, you know, you can go like, if something is hardy to zone five and I'm in zone six, they said it should overwinter in a container. 
Or, you know, if I was zone five, I'd look for something that was hardy to zone four. And I did have a bunch of shrubs that I had gotten as trial plants, and every one of them overwintered in the actual container. And so I was really pleased with that, and I didn't do anything to protect them. So, so I would be afraid that it would be too cold. And then also I have to have it in a container that can be out in that cold. So it has to be a weatherproof container, or it will be trash by spring. So here, um, I always consider... You have to have it two zones colder, so it has to be to zone five instead of zone seven. And I have them in glazed containers with the rim that is glazed on top, and those are weatherproof here. I would not do it in terracotta, for example, because terracotta no. is not its not hardy enough for <laughs> – that's funny. It's funny that I said that the pot isn't hardy enough, but that's the best way I know to put it. They are not frost-free enough that you can – do that. So um, I was going to say the the water kind of seeps into the terracotta, and then when it freezes, it, it just expands. it makes a mess of it. Yeah, and that doesn't happen so much with glazed containers because they've got that glazing on the outside to stop that. So I did it successfully for several years, and I'm going to do it again this year because we shouldn't have that kind of weather again. There are two brands that are out right now that really focus on blueberries and containers. And actually, one of them is Bushel and Berry. And Bushel and Berry also has small raspberries for containers. And uh, it seems like there's another thing, too. But I know they have raspberries, and I know that they have blackberries. Oh, that's it. Blackberries and blueberries. They have all three. So that's a good place if you want to grow some fruit in containers. And then now there are some new ones by uh, Southern Living Plants. And I have Hello Darlin' and I Declare. And those are both, I wrote about those in Oklahoma Living in my column, which we will link to, so that you can see them. There's pictures of them and stuff like that. Okay. And then I'm going to link to an article from the University of Wisconsin Cooperative Extension, because I think they, further north, you know, understand the challenges of growing fruit, fruiting shrubs in a container and overwintering and all that stuff. So I think it's, for me, it would be about the only way I could get blueberries. Now, raspberries and blackberries will grow like brambles. They will here, too. Here. Yeah. So I'm not, but, you know, if you wanted to have a smaller plant and you're, you're not going to get the big harvest to do the jam, jam making or anything mm -hmm. like that. But if you just want to get a few and, you know, some people just really like to have edible things in their garden, like Ellen. Well, like me and like you, we have edible things in our garden too. So um, we right. just don't make a requirement that everything has to be edible. So I um, I have really enjoyed growing blueberries in my containers. I did not have trouble with birds out here. I hear that in the city, it's a lot more difficult for people who have fruiting things because the birds are so prolific and don't have enough to eat. Out here, they have a lot to eat. So you are also going to talk, were you also going to talk about huckleberries? I was because... I was reading about huckleberries the other day, and it's a nice segue into our book. The huckleberry is a, a fruiting shrub that people have tried and tried and tried, and it will not become domesticated for a garden. Mm -mm. And that's because it has it needs a damp, acidic soil that comes from the volcanic origins of the areas in the Pacific Northwest where it grows. You know, it's on the slopes of Mount St. Helens. So it literally has to be foraged. You you can't go and 
and find and purchase one and put it in your garden. And people do a lot of foraging of those. Now, you should always ask permission before you go onto a property. And there's all kinds of different things. You know, you're supposed to leave a certain amount and things like that. You're not supposed to just strip the shrubs bare, but right. don't try to grow huckleberries. Yeah, you can't grow huckleberries. And so um, have you ever eaten huckleberry anything? Like when we went out just to the when I went out to Seattle, I yeah. think I had a few huckleberries. Are they delicious? I don't even remember. Um, we have huckleberry syrup from when we were in Wyoming, and we've also I also tried a huckleberry liqueur, and I've had huckleberry jam. I'm a big fan of huckleberries, big fan. They're really really good. Well, you'll have to get some forage for you by somebody. No, I don't actually want the berries. I'll just buy the jam and stuff. It's okay. There you go. I will read our next quote. Go for it. I hope I have found myself, my work, my happiness, under the light of the western skies by Zane Gray, whose real name turns out to be Pearl Zane Gray. And I did not know that. He's obviously an author. He wrote tons of westerns that all became a bunch of movies. But he was also Mm -hmm. a dentist. (laughs) Did not know that. I didn't know he was a dentist, but I've read a ton of Zane Gray. When I was a little girl, and I didn't know you were going to pick out this quote. But when I was a little girl at my grandmother's house, she had the entire Zane Gray deal. And those were the only books she had besides the Bible. And I was a preteen. So I read Zane Gray. He takes about five pages to describe one scene, but he does write about the West. I would rather read Louis L'Amour though, if I'm going to read about the West, unless I'm reading our book on the bookshelf. Yes, our book on the bookshelf is called Under Western Skies by Jennifer Jewell, photography by Caitlin Atkinson. And Jennifer is the author and host of the popular podcast, Cultivating Place. And she has a new book, which profiles 36 gardens throughout the West, from the desert southwest of Southern California to Northern California and the Intermountain West, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I do not have this book. But you have this book, so tell our listeners all about it. So she also wrote a book that we also talked about last time, which was called The Earth in Her Hands, which was a book that profiled women gardeners throughout the world and women in horticulture, really, because they weren't just gardeners. And so um, this one now, she lives in the West, and so she she lives in California, and so she decided that she wanted to write this book, and one of our good friends is in this book. Her garden's in this book, Marianne Newcomer, and Marianne lives in Idaho, Boise, Idaho, and I've been to her garden, and it is one of the profiles. So the profiles are set up like this. She took each section of the of the West, yep, which actually went from the desert Southwest all the way up to the Pacific Northwest, and she takes each section, and then she take there are thirty six profiles, and each profile starts out with the situational aspect, which is the place. Then it moves on to the gardener. It's a profile of the gardener or gardeners. And then finally the plants. And so one of Jennifer's great gifts, in my opinion, is how she can relate um, gardening or any aspect of landscape or design to like an overall sense of the earth and also to social dynamics. And so she, it doesn't, these aren't just about like they aren't just a profile. She relates it to the fact that maybe this person lives in a very arid place and how do they garden and make beautiful things in a very arid place? And there's a lot of discussion about gardening. So what can people of the middle part of the country learn from this book? Well, there's a lot of talk about how to water yep. and water efficiently. 
how to grow the right plants for the right place. Yep. And basically gardening is situational everywhere. Yes. So your garden is completely different from my garden because we live in completely different places. And that's one of the things that the book stresses. And I think it does a beautiful job. And Jennifer's a very good writer. And um, I think that Caitlin is a very good photographer. And so they do, they don't just show beautiful vistas because the West is known for its beautiful vistas, but they really wanted to show how people um, garden in a place that might not be the most hospitable. Yeah. And that's, that's, and each situation is completely different. So I think they did a really good job. It's a very big book. It's coffee table size. It's, it's a wonderful book. That's good. I am, I am interested. Under Western. Good. (laughs) Under Western Skies by Jennifer Jewell, photography by Caitlin Atkinson. So we will put a link to it on our show notes and people can check it out, especially if they live in that area of the country. And you and I also really like her podcast because we listen to yes. it quite often. One of us will listen to it and then we'll text the other one and say, hey, she has such and such on today. And it might be somebody we're really interested in. And so um, we will listen to it for that. And also Jennifer's a very good podcaster. Very good. All right. So let's move on to our dirt. So nor- like last week, we had something really fun for dirt. This one we got like, oh, bummer. This is sad. The boxwood moths have been spotted in the United States. And this is this is a pest that yeah. destroys boxwood. And in England, they had, Ugh. first there was boxwood blight, which is a disease. And now there's this invasive pest. And so mm. I'm reading an email that came from one of my subscriptions. But two weeks ago, and so that was well, two weeks ago, so beginning of June, they confirmed that it was in several facilities in the United States, um, and they believe that from August 2020 to April 2021, boxwoods that had been infested with box tree moths came to the United States through St. Catharines, Ontario, Canada, went to 25 retail facilities in Connecticut, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. Michigan, New York, Ohio, and South Carolina, and one distribution center in Tennessee. And so they have done all they can to chase those down uh, once they were discovered and basically in Michigan, Connecticut, and South Carolina and destroy those plants and try to get this infestation, nip it in the bud. Okay, Carol, I have to ask you, do you think they've really nipped it in the bud? Do you think that they're, we're really not going to have to deal with it? No, we're going to have to deal with it. These things are so difficult, so difficult. Ugh. Uh, it's really, they're concentrating, they're concentrating on the South right now. Yeah. They need to concentrate on the South because the South loves their boxwoods, especially the Asian boxwoods. And, um, those are also the ones that do really well in Oklahoma. English boxwood does not. It has devastated England, this particular pest, so badly that they are ripping out boxwood everywhere. And uh, there was a whole episode well, not the whole episode, a big segment on uh, our favorite show, Gardener's World, where they went yep. into a very famous place with tons of English boxwood, and they're trying all these different methods to capture them. They're trying lures. You know, this is basically the Japanese beetle of boxwoods. So if you have boxwoods or if you recently purchased, they said boxwood, holly, and something else, you should really be on the lookout. And don't assume that because you can buy a boxwood at your local nursery that it is pest-free. Really inspect it well because 
especially the big box stores and stuff, they don't get the memo to destroy plants the way others do. We're sorry to be bearers of bad news. We are sorry, but we thought this was important, and we needed to bring it to everyone's attention because it this is a serious yeah. thing. It's um, it's it's a serious, serious bad moth. I wish they'd kept it away. Yes, I I would agree. And so you have reminded me that the Japanese beetles. I, I well, I have a piece of good news. So you have reminded me the Japanese beetles are due out. Probably another week, week and a half, they'll start emerging here. I know you don't get Japanese No, beetles. no, don't say that. I think I have them this year. I'm not positive yet. I haven't made a positive ID, but I have something that just this week chewed up all my roses, which would be just about the right time. Oh, you need to send me a picture. I'll positive ID. I know exactly what those things look like. Well, I killed a whole bunch of them, and I destroyed the roses and put them. I don't have any right now. But if I find one, again... I will. I'm hopeful they'll move on. You know, I know they eat um, other things too, but go ahead and talk about the Japanese beetle. Well, the, I don't want to talk about it. I want to say oh, okay. a piece of good news. Okay, so, you please. know, the 17-year the brood cicada was supposed to emerge here and just be devastating. I have yet yeah. to see one. I have yet to see one. <laughs> I have the app and everything to track them. They're all over, yeah. like in Maryland, the East Coast. I have yet to mm-hmm. see one. And I'm like, I have the app to track it. None. <laughs> well, that's good news. I mean, they're not bad like I told you I had good news other me. stuff, but they are very irritating. And they caused this lady to have a wreck in one of those states last week. I did she, not know that. They got all over her windshield, and and she she couldn't see. Anyway, <laughs> boy, we <laughs> what you doing next week, D? Besides sending me a picture when you see your next Japanese beetle. Oh, I hope I don't see one. I hope they're gone. Um, okay, so I'm going to pull my dwarf snow peas, which were very disappointing. I still love avalanche with the tendrils. It's doing great. Um, I'm going to put in cucumbers on the trellis in their place. Um, I'll do that tomorrow on poop today. I'm also going to write a post for Bloom Day because Bloom Day is Tuesday of this week, which will be the day before this comes out. And I've missed it the last couple of months. And I'm also going to cut back a couple more asters in my very lower garden. I know I've talked about that for two weeks, but I have a lot of asters. So it's taken me that long to get them all cut back. And I'm going to do some concentrated weeding early in the mornings before they claim over, take over the garden uh, when it's not so hot. And I want to start pruning back some of the spring flowering shrubs like lilacs and duzias. It's time to start trimming those back. And then, like you said, bloom day is... As we record this, it's tomorrow. When you listen to it, it will be yesterday. And uh, we'll include links to those posts so you can see what is blooming in our gardens. And I've got quite a bit. I do too. This will be a good time. Anyway, thank you for listening to The Gardenangelist. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. Also, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss anything. And if you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. That helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your gardening friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. Yes, and be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And if you want to do something to help us, use the affiliate links. Especially if you're going to buy a book. You click through them, it costs you nothing, and we earn a small commission. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the Garden Gate today. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.